Hi everyone, and welcome to God's Plan, Your Part, a podcast where our goal is to read the entire Bible in a year, seeking to understand God's plan of redemption while discovering daily and practically your part in it. Have you ever wondered or even doubted if Jesus actually rose from the dead? Well, the good news is you're in good company and you're not the first person to wrestle with it. Today, we're looking at 1 Corinthians 15 and 16, and that is exactly why these chapters were written. So you brought up an interesting point right before we started recording that I did not realize before. Um, This was the first actual account before the Gospels had even written about what happened to Jesus, which that was news to me. Yeah, these these are uh, written about 15 years after Jesus rose from the dead. So 1 Corinthians 15 is the first written record that we have. Um, and it, it is, like you already said, that it's written earlier than the Gospels were. That's kind of weird, though, because you would think like such a significant event. It took them 15 years to figure out how to put all that together. That seems kind of nuts. So that is a that, <laughs> that's a common pushback. And the it makes sense that you'd be curious about that. The reason that it was not written down is because it was not primarily a writing culture. Mm. Uh, a lot of these people were telling each other about the resurrection of Jesus almost immediately. And the apostles like go right to work preaching the gospel as soon as Jesus tells them to and ascends into heaven. So we're dealing with a spoken world, uh, spoken word culture. Uh, a lot of people could not read. So it actually makes sense that we don't have written accounts uh, from that period of time. It also could be that there were written accounts, but we just don't have them. Like we know that two letters had already been passed back and forth to the Corinthians, um, but we don't have those letters. So maybe those talked about the resurrection. At any rate, First uh, Corinthians 15 is about the resurrection to people that were saying, we're not sure that this is even real. So as we move into the next part of the chapter, because I read chapter 16 today, and quite honestly, there's just like a lot of formalities as Paul's ending his letter. So I feel like unless there's something sticking out to you later, I don't really feel like I need to address it. But as we move into chapter 15 a little bit further, there is talk about resurrection of the dead. And he's like really calling people out, um, specifically the Corinthians out, about um, their misunderstandings of being raised from the dead. And it's just like, if you believe that people aren't raised, like believers aren't raised from the dead, then Christ isn't either. Um, Can you like explain that to me? Like, why was this such a confusion? So just like I referenced earlier, the the letters, like there were previous letters. And so Paul Mm -hmm. has some understanding of what's being taught or what's being uh, doubted or wrestled with. And apparently uh, there was a group of, we can assume believers, like a group of people who received the gospel uh, that were either wrestling through doubts or actively teaching that there is no resurrection of the dead. And this was not like a a unique Corinthian belief. The Sadducees actually believed that when Jesus was around. Um, and the Greeks, I think, had different elements among themselves, the Greeks and the Romans, uh, that would have taught this is not possible. Obviously, like even today, people will teach that this is not possible. It's not It's not strange that people would mm-hmm. teach that you cannot raise from the dead. So what gets Paul's attention I is I guess what that, caught my attention is just that it's believers that are saying exactly. this. Exactly. What gets Paul's attention is that believers in the church are saying this. And Paul's like, hey, like our forgiveness for sin is literally pinned on Jesus' resurrection. So if you start teaching people that Jesus did not rise from the dead, then you would also like de facto be teaching people that they are not forgiven of sin. Well, that like completely discredits the sacrifice that Jesus made then too. Um, If we assume that 
you aren't raised from the dead, then why did he die in the first place? It doesn't even make sense. Exactly. And this is important to us still today because there are still today people that will be like, well, yeah, like I really appreciate the teachings of Jesus, um, but I'm not really into all the supernatural stuff or I don't think there were actually miracles. Um, If you remove the resurrection of Jesus, you remove the power that he showed over sin and death. And so you you can't be justified before God without Christ's sacrifice. So if somebody is teaching that, um, or if somebody is starting to believe that, you are undermining like the the quintessential fact of our mm-hmm. faith. And that's why Paul takes this very seriously. Like you'll notice, First Corinthians fifteen, the language is like a little bit wordy, and he makes the same point several times. Mm-hmm. He really, really wants them to understand this. Well. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. Well, like basically through Adam, we inherit death. And through Jesus, we inherit inherit, inherit, inherit <laughs> life. Like he talks about like Adam brought us sin and death. Jesus brought us life and forgiveness and will be perishable through Adam, but imperishable through Jesus. Well, I was just about to mention that actually. So we move into the next section about resurrection, the resurrected body. Um, and I guess it's like, it probably is for us too. I mean, how many times do we say like, I don't know, like assuming what you'll look like and assuming what you'll be like. These were also questions that people had then. And Paul actually calls them foolish. You foolish person to to ask questions like, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come Um, with? What kind of body do they come? And he's basically just saying like, you're there's no there's no way to understand what it will be like. Your natural bodies won't have a place. Um, because your natural bodies, obviously we are, our, our Bible says that we are subject to sickness. We're subject to death and eventual decay. How can we live eternally with a physical body like that? Um, so there will be this change that happens, but like, who are we to say then even what that's like? So it's interesting that they were facing a lot of these questions too. And it makes sense that they'd be like, okay, so I'm going to live forever, but like, what will my body be like? And these are not people that have been learning this in church for Mm -hmm, years and years mm -hmm. and years. Or they're not, they're not people that have at least been exposed to Christian culture for years and years and years. They're like, okay, like I'm into this, but this, this part doesn't make sense. So Paul explains to them, but you know, he's, he's not giving them science. He's not giving them A plus B equals C saying, Hey, we will rise from the dead and we'll have imperishable bodies. I don't know exactly how that's going to work, but I believe it's going to happen. And Paul actually says that his life is so pinned to this, um, that if it wasn't real, his whole life is a waste of time. So what comes to mind then is like the basis of all of this, which is that our bodies are are perishable because of sin and death. And if they're going to be these imperishable things, there has to be some there has to be some change. The reason we're in these perishable bodies is because of sin separating us from God and because Jesus was put on the cross, died for our sins as that substitute, we will have freedom and an imperishable body um, as believers. Fun fact, most likely uh, Jesus is already in has one of those imperishable bodies because he rises from the dead. And the interesting thing about him is that his body is still marked by the physical elements. Like Thomas is able to put his hands. Like, they didn't in the, recognize him. Yeah, that's true. Um, they, I mean, they did eventually, though. Yeah, but, but it took him a long time. He walked alongside <laughs> on the road with them and they were like. Dur, dur, dur. So there's something different about him. Um, and he rises into heaven in that body. Mm-hmm. So that's how he is and how he exists today. So mm-hmm. speaking of those accounts, um, we kind of sped past this, but it is important. First Corinthians uh, 15, 
verse three. Um, oh it, wow! These are yeah, back at the beginning. Um, these are like Paul's firsthand accounts of people who had seen Jesus, and these are really important details because he's reporting them. Um, referencing the fact that a lot of the people that saw Jesus are still alive. If you look at verse six, mm-hmm. he says, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Like he's basically saying, hey, a lot of people saw this happen. They're still walking around talking to people. They're still preaching the gospel. They're still like, if, if, if you have doubts, go talk to some of those people that saw him. So what a powerful testimony. Um to actually just go bump into somebody that was like, oh, yeah, I saw that happen. Like, that really did happen. It says, for Paul, last of all, as one untimely born, he also appeared to me. Mm-hmm. So, like, is that the part where it's, like, Saul's conversion? Yeah, he's referring to his conversion. and that That's is... why he says his untimely born. Exactly. Interesting. That is his claim to being an apostle as well. So, mm. like, the authority of his teaching is tied to his personal, like, interaction revelation of Jesus. So he is an apostle in the same way uh, that the, the first disciples are apostles and that is his claim to authority. Wow. So we are finished up with first Corinthians 15. The chapter 16 is basically a wrap up. There is a quick little interesting piece. I think um, about him collecting money to give to the the believers in Jerusalem, showing how generous the early church was and how that generosity spread as the gospel spread. So these Corinthian believers are being encouraged to put away money the first day of every week to be able to be given to the believers in Jerusalem because they were under persecution, having a really difficult time. Um, also in chapter 16, verse 20, 21 You'll see one of Paul's favorite ways to end his letters. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. hand. Uh, Most likely, if you imagine the letter, like he wrote some special way, like basically a signature, so that people could see this is Paul's writing and we believe it is him. So uh, as far as your part, uh, if there is no resurrection, everything we're doing is pointless. Mm. So (laughs) remind yourself to be... yeah. Remind yourself of the power and importance of the resurrection. It did happen. Uh, It will happen in the future. And from time to time, maybe it still happens today. Um, So be encouraged. And we'll be back again tomorrow with 2 Corinthians. We'll see you then. Thanks so much for listening to God's Plan Your Part. Don't forget, it is always more important that you listen to God's words rather than our words. So please stick around to hear the reading for the day uh, or go and find it in the Bible and read it yourself. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave a rating and write a review on whatever platform you are using to listen to us. Now that we have all that out of the way, here is the reading for today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. 
But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true, that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each is his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that it is expected who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people being baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus, if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that it is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it was written, The first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. 
The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as the man is of heaven, so are also those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Chapter 16 Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intended to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they were devoting themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus, and Fortunus, and Achaius, because they have made up for your absence, for they refresh my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to God's Plan, Your Part. If anything stuck out to you, if you have any questions, or if you'd like to receive a Bible, you can email us at godsplanyourpart at gmail.com. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, please consider supporting us through the link in our description. We love that you're on this journey with us, and we hope you have a great day. See you tomorrow.